On the last, complicit. There were probably a good couple hundred people. It was very emotional. Jeffrey called me and said, oh my God, there's something wrong with mom. And he said, do you, do you know where Lauren is? Do you know what happened? And she said, Michael. And he said, who's Michael? There was no work order for that. He never was supposed to be there. Six months since Lauren DeMullo's disappearance and still no answers. Her story has captured national attention. We are looking for any small tidbit of information that can help detectives track where Lauren may have been before she went missing. Where is Lauren DeMullo? I'm Hillary Wadsworth. And I'm Caitlin Boddy. And you're listening to Complicit. Chapter 18, Six Months Missing. December of 2020 marked six months missing. Six months without Lauren. Six months without answers. After the success of the We Ride for Lauren event, Danny and her team of organizers wanted to keep the momentum going. They planned another event, this time called We Walk for Lauren. So Saturday morning, people from all around Southwest Florida took a step to show they are not giving up in the search for this mother. They took the same path Lauren... On Saturday, December 5th, 2020, crowds of people walked through the streets of Cape Coral, tying pink ribbons around trees in honor of Lauren, walking the same path Lauren would have taken from her apartment to Four Freedoms Park. The day continued at Four Freedoms Park with a family fun day, and even Santa and Mrs. Claus made an appearance. The Cape Coral Police Department showed up to lend their support, and the local news stations were fully invested in covering this second event for Lauren. Danny recalls the turnout for the event. We ended up having about 15 Cape Coral Police Department officers, several detectives, a captain was there, and they did the entire walk with us and tied ribbons and they held the banner. They had a couple of road officers who would stop traffic for everyone to walk across the street and things like that. And it was really beautiful to have that support, let the community see that support. Jones was there, the major crimes unit were there to to show that support. As much as it appeared that the Cape Coral Police Department was standing hand-in-hand with the family, behind the scenes, Paul, Cassie, and Lindsay were becoming frustrated. They were not privy to much of the information Detective Jones had, nor had they received updates in a while. I have not had any updates, personally, in weeks. I continue to post about Lauren being missing on social media. I continue to ask people to share and comment and follow and keep your eyes open and do whatever you can to bring Lauren home. And a big part of us staying so active on social media and local news is because we haven't obviously found Lauren, but we've also, I feel that we've hit a wall. They don't tell us anything about it because I guess it was a open investigation and 
I'm not even kidding you. I, I know nothing. There were a few things Detective Jones was able to share regarding some of the open loops in the investigation, like the cell phones, the video footage near the beach where Lauren's belongings were found, and the DNA testing. But most of these updates only frustrated the family further. Let's start with the cell phones. Cassie, Lindsay, and Matt had found one in Lauren's apartment by the bed that wouldn't turn on. And Gabby had given them one when he showed up to the apartment that same day. That phone was on, and Cassie was certain it was the phone Lauren had been using just prior to her disappearance. The police were also able to confirm this. They saw that Lauren posted on Facebook three times on Thursday, June 18th, all reposts from Facebook memories. On Friday, June 19th, Lauren did not post anything on Facebook, nor on any other social media platform. Remember, Cassie had held on to the phones before handing them over to Detective Jones. There's nothing on the 19th. I was actually able to go on her Facebook because it was logged in and you can like view like your history and there was no activity. There was an unanswered Facebook messenger call from Lauren's phone to Gabby on June 19th at 10 a.m. And Paul was told everything checked out there. They pinged Lauren's phone and Gabby's phone. Lauren's phone from her apartment. Gabby's phone from where they were, said they were working and they had proof that they were working there. Gabby said he never received that call from Lauren when he spoke to the police. They took Gabby's phone on multiple occasions. They've never let us know exactly what was ever found on them, if anything. Detective Jones also shared the last text message Lauren ever wrote. It was sent the evening of Thursday, June 18th. We mentioned it briefly in episode five. It said, You guys coming. That was her last message from the phone. The message was sent via a messaging app called Talk You. And Detective Jones confirmed that he knows who received that message, but he has not released that information to anyone. As far as physical phone location goes, the police forensics team pulled the pings off of Lauren's working phone and tracked its whereabouts. On June 18th, her phone pinged in multiple places, like the places she was filling out applications, her apartment, and the mental facility. A surveillance video from Speedway gas station also confirmed her June 18th whereabouts. It showed a happy, spring-in-her-step Lauren leaving the gas station store after filling out a job application, and the manager confirmed she was there. She was wearing black pants and a pink shirt, carrying the same black handbag found in Four Freedoms Park. But on the 19th, her phone wasn't active. They said it was pinged in her apartment, and then there was no ping after. But the ping was for the Facebook call. And that was all. There was nothing more to report about this phone. The other phone that wouldn't turn on revealed even less. Detectives didn't get anything off of that either. They couldn't get it to turn on. The second update Detective Jones shared was regarding video camera footage from a nearby building facing where Lauren's red shirt was found. Lauren's family hoped that the camera would contain some video footage that would lead them to how the shirt got there. But unfortunately, they didn't get the answer they had hoped for. All he said was one of the homeless guys or somebody kicked it and kicked up the sand and then he scooped around and pulled up the shirt and looked at it and left it there. It was nothing. 
I said, let me ask you a question. Where is the video of somebody putting the shirt there? Or Lauren putting the shirt there? Where is that video? No answer. We've asked to see the video. We've asked for proof. They won't release it to us. We asked him, like, why can't you look back to see, like, when that shirt wound up there before it got buried in the sand? And he's like, that would take days, hours, months. Cassie offered to spend the time it would take to go back in the camera footage, but she was denied access. What he could tell her was that the shirt had been confirmed as being Lauren's. Detective Jones had a similar answer for the purse, keys, and shoes found in the park on June 20th. Why is there no video of Lauren in the park on the 19th day that her purse was found then? And then who put it there? They say that where it was found is just right off of camera, so you can't see. And I'm like, well, can you see people walking towards it? Like, in that general direction? There's no cameras showing us how it wound up there. They then turned their attention to the remaining forensics, the curtain taken out of Anne and Victor's apartment during the cadaver dog search. Apparently the curtain had some kind of stain on it that they thought could have been blood, but they did run forensics on that and it wasn't. There was no forensic evidence that these cadaver dogs hit on everything. That is what I was told. It was probably just methane gas. And that's what the dog said on. I said, really? So you're telling me there was methane Paul gas? Paul was obviously there. upset and deeply frustrated that the forensics did not lead to more answers. What do you think I was? I said, you're not dealing with some banker or nine to five guy that doesn't know his ass from his elbow. And again, nothing had been discovered in the two enclosed trailers that were taken that same day. Remember, the work van had already been returned and the forensics department said that it checked out due to Victor and Gabby's line of work. Interestingly, the work van had also since been totaled and sent to a junkyard. Victor and Gabby did end up getting a new white work van after all. With little to no forensic evidence left to explore and more time passing by, Lauren's case seemed to be growing colder. That's what I don't understand is how they, I mean, it seems like a crime has been committed here. We don't know who did it. I don't understand how they have gotten away with this this long and how they covered their tracks so well. All these different things, you know, supposedly everywhere, the cops went the dead end, dead end, dead end. Chapter 19, Fresh Eyes. In the absence of information from the police, Lauren's family decided to bring in their own expert. Paul hired a private investigator, someone who could take a look at Lauren's case with fresh eyes from a new perspective, someone who was not current law enforcement, who would not be held to the same rules that could bind up an investigative process. Meet Walt, the private investigator working tirelessly to get answers. 
My name is Walter Zalisco. I'm a retired police chief. I had 38 years of police experience. Uh, I worked in a large New Jersey, New York metropolitan area. I was part of a missing person squad for about four years in Jersey City. We worked on a number of homicide cases. I was the lead advisor for U.S. State Department police training missions in Ukraine and Russia. I received a lot of training from the FBI, criminal investigations, hostage negotiations, things like that. I became a police chief in Florida for a few years. After that, I opened up my private investigation business, which I also had while I was still in New Jersey. So I have approximately around 18 years of private investigative experience. Walt, having been on the police force for so many years, could understand why Detective Jones was not being forthcoming with information. What traditionally happens in these type of cases is are the police are gonna they're gonna clam up. They're not gonna reveal a lot of the information that they have for obvious reasons. They don't want to tip off anybody that they may be the subject of an investigation. They don't want to take the chances of any evidence being destroyed and things like that. So the the police have been pretty hush hush on this and it makes my job a little bit harder because I gotta go out there and dig for the new information and things like that. But you know, that's what has to be done. Walt was in a unique position as a private investigator. He could go places where the police maybe couldn't. We can basically do what we want as long as it's legal. So it could give me a lot more information. So there are benefits in a PI world to interview people and get information, unlike law enforcement, which have to do it by the book. Walt also had a new perspective on the type of case this was. As a veteran police officer, he did not believe that this was simply a missing persons case. And he didn't believe the Cape Coral Police Department had assigned Lauren's disappearance appropriately from the start. Right from day one, this was not a normal missing person case. This is a a case involving foul play and a possible homicide. Why they would put a missing persons investigator rather than a major crimes investigator on this case, you know, is unknown to me. Cape Coral Police Department, yeah, they're a good agency and everything. You need to put a lot of heads together on this from different agencies because this is not just a missing person case. I don't know how, how strongly we can keep stressing that. This is obviously a criminal act and she's gone. As we've mentioned, Cape Coral Police have kept updates on Lauren's case close to the vest, making it very difficult to find out where the investigation lies and what progress is being made. But recently, Detective Jones appeared on a few national media pieces covering Lauren's case and shared some new developments. For one, he shared that Gabby was no longer a person of interest in Lauren's disappearance. He announced this on People Magazine's TV True Crime segment in late November. ...and that his alibi checks out. At this time, there isn't anything evidentiary-wise that would suggest that he harmed her in any way. Lauren's family has now hired a private He confirmed it again for another national program, Investigation Discoveries in Pursuit, The Missing, hosted by Callahan Walsh. The show was filmed in December of 2020. Jones said that Gabby had been nothing but cooperative since the start of the investigation. Is he still cooperating? He's never been anything but cooperative with us. That his cell phone had pinged exactly where it was supposed to ping on Friday, June 19th, 
on a job site in nearby Marco Island. Using phone records and GPS, police verified he was not in Cape Coral that entire day. At the height of the investigation... But Walt wasn't so quick to dismiss Gabby's involvement. Until I have proven otherwise, and I haven't found anything in that he's in it, totally innocent yet. You know, yeah, Detective Jones told me that he passed the polygraph. The polygraphs aren't, you know, a tell-all type of a device. Just because he said he passed it, that, that doesn't mean anything, you know. There is going to have to be a lot of other factors that play into this that prove his innocence. In my book, he's still a suspect. And, you know, okay, so he was at the job site all day working. Well, when did Lauren go missing? Could have been nighttime. All right, just because the phone's there at daytime, and like you said, you can leave your phone somewhere. There was yet another reason Lauren's family and Walt did not want to dismiss Gabby's involvement. Back in July, after Cassie and Paul cleaned out Lauren's apartment, they had taken her notebooks. At the time, Cassie had flipped through them and saw Lauren's inspirational quotes and journal entries about her sobriety efforts, all written in her bubbly penmanship. But on one otherwise blank page, there was something that didn't match the rest of the content, nor Lauren's handwriting. It was an address, and it appeared to match Gabby's handwriting. Without an expert's analysis, they couldn't be certain, but a comparison to the handwritten missing persons report Gabby filed showed similar peculiarities. Like a random capital letter in the middle of a word, for example. The address, interestingly enough, was Carl's. You'll remember Carl as the other man in Lauren's life, and maybe the father of the pregnancy Lauren terminated. He was also charged with mishandling human remains after an overdose incident allegedly occurred at this residence, the same one written in Lauren's notebook. There was nothing to indicate when or why Carl's address was written there. There's no doubt that, you know, uh, they knew each other. But again, uh, how do they know each other and what did they do together? That's going to be the question. In addition to clearing Gabby, Detective Jones went on to give additional updates. The names of three suspects. The three names he revealed have been on our radar, and one of them is actually Carl. We had been hesitant to release the other two names for two reasons. We could not yet confirm their relationship to Lauren, and we did not want to jeopardize any part of the police investigation. But now that Detective Jones has publicly released their names, we feel more comfortable that our sources may have been on the right track. We'll start with Carl. We already knew about his involvement with Lauren on a personal level. Cassie had even said that Lauren felt safe with him. But both Walt and Detective Jones were looking into him as a suspect as well. Two separate tips had come in that potentially linked him to Lauren's disappearance. The first was from a source who contacted Paul. The source claimed to have spoken to Carl's ex-girlfriend, who said that Carl had threatened her and she was scared, too scared to even go to the police. She was Carl Crow's girlfriend before Carl went into jail. 
he went over to her house, she said, and with another girl, which he didn't know he had another girlfriend now already, and threatened her and said, listen, you know, you, you say anything about Lauren to anybody. You know what happened to that 19-year-old girl, and you know what I did to Lauren. The same thing will happen to you. Paul's source believed the other girl was the woman who had allegedly overdosed at Carl's house. Separately, Walt received a tip pointing him in the direction of Carl's house for more information about Lauren. Walt went there to check things out. What I did do is go to the house and I was going to talk to Carl Crow, but he wasn't there, so I spoke to his girlfriend. After spending a few minutes making Carl's current girlfriend feel comfortable enough to talk, she did share some information. She said, well, they're never going to find her. And I said, what do you mean? She says, she's out 50 miles out into the Gulf of Mexico. So I said, well, how do you know that? She goes, she had people that told her. But for Carl to even be on the suspect list, he couldn't have acted alone. If you'll recall, Carl was in jail when Lauren disappeared. In fact, he had a court appearance on Friday, June 19th. He was bailed out by his ex-girlfriend that we just mentioned on June 28th, so he couldn't physically have done something to Lauren himself, which Detective Jones did acknowledge. He suspected, however, that Carl had involved two of his associates and might have organized Lauren's disappearance from jail. The first associate was a man named Jose. Jose is another alleged drug trafficker in Cape Coral, but he was not in jail when Lauren disappeared. Paul was given Jose's name and connection to Lauren by a source early on in his investigation. She was telling me about this guy, Jose, who was a drug dealer who she used to get drugs off of and Lauren would drive over there with her. Some coast crew, they call themselves. At the time, Paul put Jose on his radar and went to go talk to him, but was unsuccessful. Jose knew I was looking for him, and he took off. Paul did pass Jose's name along to Detective Jones. Three months after Lauren's disappearance, Cape Coral Police raided Jose's house on suspicion of drug trafficking, and Jose and other people present at the time were arrested. One of those individuals involved with Jose's alleged drug ring is a man by the name of Josh, and he's the third name on Detective Jones' suspect list. Josh's name surfaced when Paul learned about a conversation a source of his had with a woman who we're going to call Scarlett. Scarlett said that she had gone to Josh's residence on the evening of Thursday, June 18th. She said there were people hanging out there, one of whom was Lauren. Jose was also allegedly there. Scarlett claimed she saw Lauren and Josh walk into his bedroom to talk, but she did not see Lauren leave because, in the meantime, Scarlett left Josh's place to meet a boyfriend. Later on that evening, she returned to Josh's and recalled that Lauren was not there anymore. She was certain the get-together at Josh's place took place on June 18th because it was the same evening she had gone to meet her date. 
But Josh was not only on the radar for having a get-together that included Lauren on June 18th or for being associated with Jose. He had yet another tie to Lauren's case, and it was a significant one that until now, the police had not released. He claimed to have seen Lauren walking by his apartment complex around 10 a.m. on Friday, June 19th, and he said they waved to each other. Josh's apartment is exactly one mile from Lauren's. If his claim was true, this would make Josh the last person to come forward as having seen Lauren alive, not the maintenance man. But there might have been an issue with Josh's timing. Remember there was a Facebook call to Gabby from Lauren's phone. The forensics team did confirm the call was made in Lauren's apartment at 10 a.m., the same time Josh claims to have waved to Lauren. But Walt wasn't taking anything at face value. Well, do we know that it was Lauren that was making that call at 10 a.m.? And they didn't connect it. And if someone wanted to make a good alibi, they would do that. Okay, to say, well, she was calling me at this time or whatever. And that's why there's a little suspicion placed on the phones that were in the house. So just the fact that she made this call or someone made this call and trying to say that it was Lauren, but that hasn't been proven. There was still quite a ways to go in proving that these three individuals were responsible for Lauren's disappearance either individually or collectively. And Detective Jones did not share his theory on what the motive could have been. I think what happens when there's this kind of case, you know, possibly a murder, I think everything's questionable. Everyone is a suspect. Chapter 20, Bring Lauren Home. Lauren's disappearance and Anne's death had brought Lauren's family together. Aunt Sue had made a promise to her sister that she would bring Lauren home, and no one was going to stop digging until they got to the bottom of what happened. Somebody out there does know something and will come forward, and we will find Lauren, and we will bring Lauren home. We're not going to wake up one day and be like, all right, like we're not doing this anymore. It's on our minds 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I do believe that we're going to find her. It's been tough on the family, not having answers. But they hope that by opening up their lives and Lauren's life to the public, that they will get answers. We have been very public. So like I said, what we hopefully will get out of this is bringing Lauren home and hopefully help another family that, God forbid, has to go through this. You know, it's not easy going through this. There's no sense in trying to protect what little bit of privacy Lauren has left because at this point, like, we just need to find her. Lauren's family and friends are still trying to make sense of what happened. There are so many puzzle pieces here that you can't figure out what happened. It's frustrating. There's no closure. There's no finding her, you know, dead or alive. I hate saying it like that, but that's what it's gotten to. It's insane to me that there's just no more information and, you know, that somebody can just vanish. You know, I definitely think that there are, like, things that led up to her disappearance. 
but they maintain hope that eventually they will get answers. I hope we find answers and find Lauren before it becomes a cold case. I don't want this to be the life that we're living for more weeks, more months, more years, our lifetime. I do believe she will be found. I really do believe that justice will be served. I think a lot of people know exactly what happened. I think that eventually people are going to talk and it's just a matter of when. Somebody knows something. There are answers out there for sure. I know I'm not blood family, but like, damn it, I need answers. At this point, we've shared the pertinent information surrounding Lauren's mysterious disappearance, her relationships, the psychotic episodes, and all the other tragedies and people who have woven their way into the story. There are many different directions things could have gone that eventually led to Lauren's disappearance. But no matter where you land on what you think happened, it doesn't change the fact that she's been missing for, well... Start at June 19th, 2020 and count forward in time to whenever you're listening to this podcast. That's how many months Lauren has been missing. How long those closest to her have been wondering. What if someone came and snatched her because she knew too much? Maybe she wasn't hearing things or seeing things. Maybe somebody really was after her. I just don't know, like... What happened to her? What happened to Lauren? Where is she? Where the fuck is Lauren? I'm not going to stop until I find out what happened to my daughter. For anyone out there with information about Lauren's disappearance, Walt has a message for you. Private investigator, you know, is not law enforcement. You can care less whether you have a warrant out for you or what you did in the past. He's just concerned with the information that you're gonna provide about Lauren's disappearance. If you have any information you'd like to share with Walt, his number is 855-444-7448. Or you can go to his website at globalinvestigativegroup.com and leave a message. Walt's information is also available on our website at complicit-podcast.com. On the next Complicit, we answer your questions about the case so far. Write your question to us at info at complicit-podcast.com or leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash complicitpodcast and you might be featured in our next bonus episode. If you'd like to stay updated on the investigation surrounding Lauren's disappearance, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'll release new episodes as new developments occur. And as always, please continue to share this podcast so that we can continue to spread the word about Lauren's case. listening to Complicit, a true mystery podcast about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo. If you have any information about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo, please call 1-800-780-TIPS. That's 1-800-780-8477. Or go to www.capecops.com tips. 
or you can text a tip to crimes. That's 274637. Tips can be left anonymously, and there is a reward currently being offered for information leading to an arrest. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and continued developments in Lauren's case. For additional information you won't hear and can't see on the podcast, visit our website at complicit-podcast.com. Also, be sure to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Complicit Podcast, on Twitter at Complicit underscore pod, and on Instagram at Complicit underscore podcast. Complicit is a production of 7th Guest Productions and produced by Resonate Recordings. And now, here's another podcast we like, and you may as well.